Hello, and welcome to a podcast for the Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology. I'm Gavin Cleaver, and I'm delighted to be joined today by one of the authors of a new paper which uses information from the UK Biobank to look at the prevalence of diabetes across the first six decades of life. Dr. Robin, please will introduce yourself. Hi, thanks very much for having me on the podcast. I'm a senior lecturer in diabetes and nephrology based at the University of Exeter Medical School, and I'm funded by Diabetes UK to study the biology of type 1 diabetes. So this new study, it uses the UK Biobank resource. That's kind of an interesting place to start a study. Could you tell us a little bit uh, of the background on the UK Biobank and kind of explain what you used it for in this particular study? So the UK Biobank is a major national and international health resource and actually a charity in its own right. The goals of UK Biobank are to improve prevention, diagnosis and treatment of a wide range of serious and life-threatening illnesses, including diabetes. UK Biobank recruited 500,000 people between the ages of 40 and 69 years between 2006 and 2010 from all across the UK. They've undergone a variety of measures, provided blood, urine and saliva samples for future analysis, and given detailed information about their health in the form of questionnaires and also in the form of their electronic health records. Additionally, they've agreed to have their health followed over time. Over many years, this will build into a powerful resource to help scientists discover why some people develop particular diseases and others do not. So your study involves, it's a genetic risk score to investigate the prevalence of autoimmune diabetes in people under 30 and those aged 30 to 60 years. So could you explain how this score was calculated and how you applied it to the biobank data? We previously developed a genetic risk score that adds up information from 30 genetic variants that are known to increase the risk of type 1 diabetes. This generates a numerical score for each person that represents their genetic risk of type 1 diabetes. We know that people with a high genetic risk score, in fact those in the top half of the population, when you look at their score, can actually get type 1 diabetes and can also get type 2 diabetes. But those with a low genetic risk score, the bottom half of the population, cannot get type 1 diabetes. We were therefore able to assess the excess of diabetes in the half of the population with high type 1 diabetes genetic risk and use that to assess the presentation of type 1 diabetes throughout life. And so what did your results show? Our key and surprising finding was that type 1 diabetes presents across the first six decades of life, with nearly half of cases presenting over the age of 30. This is in contrast to almost all textbooks, which describe type 1 diabetes as predominantly a disease of childhood, with an average age of presentation in the middle of childhood. Additionally, we found that people with older type 1 diabetes were very similar to those at younger ages, with a normal BMI, with rapid progression to needing insulin treatment, and a risk of diabetic ketoacidosis. Finally, we were able to demonstrate that type 1 diabetes is much harder to identify and more easily misdiagnosed at older ages. And this is because of the large number of people who have type 2 diabetes at older age. What would you say are the most important clinical implications of your findings? The most important clinical implications are firstly just to know that type 1 diabetes occurs at older ages. And that is something that's not always appreciated 
particularly in primary care, where many people with diabetes present in their 30s, 40s and 50s. Secondly, it's important to recognise that misclassification is common because we often as doctors assume that people diagnosed later in life have type 2 diabetes when it's clear from the results of our study that an important minority have type 1. Finally, a key thing about this is that type 1 and type 2 diabetes are treated differently. And if someone who has type 1 is treated as type 2, this can cause harm because they won't respond to the initial tablets and diet therapy that are the mainstays of treatment in type 2 diabetes. People with type 1 diabetes need to uh, be given insulin to control their blood glucose. And this key difference means it's important to get classification right. So it's very interesting how you've used the UK biobank data to investigate diabetes. Do you think your approach or a similar approach could be used to investigate other diseases using the same data pool? You're absolutely right. Type 1 diabetes is one of many diseases where we now know there are genetic variants associated with risk of disease. So we and other groups are already looking at those other diseases and other symptoms to see whether we could use genetic risk scores to identify those who may have undiagnosed or misdiagnosed illnesses that can be identified using our new genetic method. These would include celiac disease, where we may find undiagnosed celiac disease in those with gastrointestinal symptoms. Or another example would be undiagnosed back pain, which 